listening to CLNS Media, powered by BetOnline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com slash roll. Use our promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your first deposit. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Red Sox Beat Podcast presented by CLNS Media. That's your leading online video and audio provider for Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chris Catillo from MassLive.com. Cover the Red Sox over there. This is episode 236 of the show. We're recording on October 10th. Uh, Thursday, another mundane day in the offseason. Patriots play tonight against the Giants and in a glorified exhibition game. But uh, the Red Sox obviously uh, are out of it and, and have been since uh, really about August 2nd. But we have uh, someone who's going to, yeah, I, I believe, is a new guest to the show, one of my uh, colleagues on the beat, Bill Koch from the Providence Journal. Bill, how are you? Chris, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. This is, uh, b- before I forget, this show is brought to you by Indochino Made to Measure uh, menswear and we'll hear a bit about them later so bill uh has been covering the team for about a little bit longer than me right you started at the beginning of 2018 yeah i had a great start uh, won the world series my first full year on the beat uh and then this year was sort of the other side of the coin so right two years two years in total uh i did maybe a handful of games in 2017 um took over for tim Britton when he moved on to the athletic and mm-hmm. brian mcpherson when he went into more of a nine to five job, uh, you know, out of, out of family obligation. Um, you know, and it's, it's been crazy as anyone else, you know, could have expected. It's, uh, it's been really interesting to, to watch a team that I grew up rooting for, you know, on a daily basis and, and sort of be on the other side of it now. Yeah, exactly. And we've seen, as I've said, you know, we've seen it all. We've seen, you know, one of the the best wire to wire finishes in Red Sox history, and perhaps the most disappointing one, which is the most recent addition. And, and as a result of that, there's a lot that's going to happen this off season. So, of all the post mortem and uh, pre off season previews that I've read from people in the last couple weeks, I think Bill had one of the craziest, most radical ideas. His, his column was called "A Radical Strategy Maybe Just What the Red Sox Need." And the first idea he presents, the first transaction, which I had to read twice because it didn't, I would never expected this, especially because I know how much Bill likes Rafael Devers, was this line. Trade David Price, Rafael Devers, and a prospect, uh, Jimenez to the Dodgers for Dustin May, Justin Turner, Gavin Lux, and Alex Verdugo. And then your next line is blasphemy, right? Which I think it absolutely is because Devers just had an MVP type season, obviously. Um, you know, the point of that is, is kind of that bailout package with the Dodgers seven, eight years later than the first one, uh, where you get a lot of prospects some major league pieces and you get, um, David Price's contract off the books, but, um, just kind of, kind of take us through that idea. Well, there are a few things, Chris, first, you just, the entire premise of the column was just to try to be a little creative. Uh, I think a lot of times when definitely need to be. Right. And I think a lot of times when people go into the offseason, the trades that they want to make are right in front of their face, whether it be guys who are going into a walk year like Mookie Betts or Jackie Bradley or, you know, guys who have big contracts like David Price or, you know, maybe the number one prospect in your farm system. The Red Sox, maybe not uh, so much in that discussion, but, you know, trade the number one prospect for a veteran player who can help right away. They're, they're all sort of conventional ideas. And, and I think you know, what I was trying to do writing this column was, you know, maybe sort of throw a few curveballs in there and, and maybe, you know, sort of encourage people to, to be a bit creative. Um, you know, generally in, in that mythical deal, uh, I made it very clear that, you know, I would not want to trade Raphael Devers. Okay. I, I right. think I, I think that right now, 
in terms of the way front offices would view the Red Sox roster and really their whole organization, I think Raphael Devers is the most valuable piece you have. Yep, and Bogart's second, but Devers above him. You know, and I say that based on his age, the 2019 season he just had, and his contract situation. Uh, He's not going to be a free agent until the mid-2020s. The next two or three years, you're going to have a player who's going to outperform what he is being paid. Um, And I think a lot of fans would look and they would say, well, Mookie Betts is their most valuable player. Well, yes, he is in terms of ceiling on the field. But you need to keep in mind that he only has one year left in his deal. He's going to make about $28 million in arbitration Mm -hmm. for 2020. And he's completely noncommittal about signing an extension with the Red Sox or any other team that he might go to. Right. Uh, so what Betts essentially is, is a very expensive one-year rental for mm-hmm. another team. Devers is the type of guy who you can help build your roster around for the next three, four, or five years. Um, you know, and someone who hasn't had an extension discussed with him yet. So you don't know if he might be open to you know, maybe the Alex Bregman deal where it's five for 100 and he's going to mm-hmm. outperform the $20 million a year salary. Um, so that's generally what I was getting at with that is I think Devers is your most valuable piece. I think opposing front offices would see that the same way. And I think that in terms of the players that you would get back if you traded him, if you attach price to him, you clear significant money. And if you made a trade with the Dodgers who have a ton of young prospects, some of whom are right on the fringes of the major leagues at this point, you would help the Red Sox not only have talent on the field, but be able to control their costs off the field. Yeah. It's, I mean, that would be a haul, obviously. You know, Turner is a veteran, and then Dustin May, Gavin Lux, and Verdugo. And, and after what we saw last night out of the Dodgers, they might be open to some, some drastic changes, obviously. I think the, the, next, the next trade you presented was trading Jackie Bradley Jr., C.J. Chatham to the Indians. C.J. Chatham is an obvious guy who's blocked as a shortstop prospect. I think Jackie Bradley is a guy who they're going to explore trading, convince Dustin Pedroia to retire, as we've talked about a bunch of times. Maybe a little bit easier said than done because uh, they have to find maybe some middle ground where they buy him out for a lesser price on that one. Yeah, I'm not really sure uh, you know, what Major League Baseball rules say in terms yeah. of, you know, I would go to Pedroia and I would offer him a, a personal services contract or coaching role or whatever it may be. Uh, I fully believe that he deserves his money. Uh, mm-hmm. He's owed $13.75 million each of the next two years, and, and I don't want to deny him that. Uh, right. You know, I think the Red Sox should pay him, you know, up to the $27, 28000000 million that they owe him. Uh, mm-hmm. They signed him to the contract. They should honor it. Um, by the same, same token, though, maybe you could appeal to what he's given to the organization, the sacrifices he's made, and, and say, Dustin, we really don't think you're going to be a factor on the field anymore. I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, his next surgery will be total left, uh, total left knee replacement. Uh, he won't be able to play through something like that. Um, so you can go to him and say, if you really want to help this team and this franchise, you know, we can pay you $500,000 for the next 54 years. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know, but if you give us financial relief right now, you'd be helping us more than any performance you could give us on the field. So I, I think, you know, in that respect, maybe it was just floating out another trial balloon to encourage people to be a little bit creative in, in terms of getting his salary off the books. Yeah, I mean, it, his, his salary off the books would be a big help toward getting under that $208 million CBT threshold. And, and um, it, as, you know, I'm not sure that, that they've had those talks before, but it's definitely 
something to explore. Next couple ideas you presented, and these ones, these ones I like because I think these are two guys that the Reds, a lot of people have just in their minds said goodbye to uh, completely, re-signing Rick Porcello and Mitch Moreland, two good veteran presences. They actually do fit the roster, surprisingly. You know, Porcello, you're probably going to be able to get for cheap. Mitch Moreland, you're going to be able to get probably for cheap. Maybe, you know, I, I've thought about one year, two million deals, something like that as a left-handed hitting bat. He's obviously injury prone, but but a good compliment over there to Dahlbeck or whoever Chavis is going to be at first. And then a guy that I really like, and I like your idea here a lot, a free agent addition, a small one, replacing Sandy Leon with Tyler Flowers, um, who has history with Chris Sale. So kind of some, some veteran back end of the roster types that um, – you know, on paper, I think look pretty good. Porcello is just such a great veteran and, and a guy who, you know, is such a great professional in terms of the shape he keeps himself in, the way he's able to take the ball 30 times a year. Um, you know, you hope that maybe you could wring one more season out of him, you know, maybe with a club option for 2021 in, in terms of innings or, you know, ERA or, or something like that, some sort of incentive that would trigger that. Um, you know, and you're, you're buying extremely low on him. Based on the, the 2019 season he had, he really wasn't very good at all. Uh, it's pretty ineffective. He seemed to find something, maybe his last two or three starts, that he might be able to take in the next year. Uh, yep. But I think that it's a good market for you if you're looking to shed payroll. He made about $20.5 million this year. You, know, you might be able to get him anywhere between a quarter to a half of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in Moreland's case, I, I just look at first base from an organizational perspective, and I think that they're keeping that seat warm for Tristan Casas. That's their top prospect. I don't expect him to be in Boston really anywhere before, say, 2022. Yeah. Um, you know, so in terms of filling that gap, if you bring back Mitch Moreland, he's a perfect platoon guy for either Sam Travis or for Bobby Dalbeck, who, mm-hmm. you know, realistically, if you're going to bring Dalbeck up as a rookie in 2020, do you really want him to try to play like 140 games? You know, for me, that might be a little bit more than he can chew. Uh, so maybe you, you put him in the lineup, you allow him to hit left-handed pitching, which he does reasonably well. Uh, you allow Moreland to handle some of the righties. Uh, I expect with the roster the way it is now that Chavis is probably going to be playing second base. Yeah. Uh, so I don't necessarily include him in that first base mix. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, in terms of Tyler Flowers, uh, with Brian McCain retiring, I, I think that the Braves will probably pick up his club option. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm just thinking in terms of backup catchers. Mm-hmm. You know, Sandy give Leon's you project- something offensively, you know. Yeah, S- Sandy Leon's projected to get 2.8 million in arbitration. Mm-hmm. He's one of the guys who I would non-tender. I, I don't think he's worth that, yeah. uh, given his production. Um, you know, and I also don't want Christian Vasquez to play 138 games a year. I, I know a lot of those were as the DH and at first base, but. You know, I think that you need to preserve that guy. I think that he proved this year that he's a franchise catcher. And, and I generally think that, you know, most guys, if they're going to be reasonably offensive from that position, mm-hmm. you should cap at about 100, 110 games behind the plate. I, I think just physically it's really hard to do. And, you know, also I looked at Flowers specifically because of his history with Chris Sale. Uh, yeah. You know, and I think that that might build in a day off in the rotation for Vasquez if, if Flowers mm-hmm. is – sort of the personal catcher for sale, you know, that might get him back on track in, in 2020. Uh, it might give him someone familiar who he's worked with before, you know, someone to feel good about in spring training and going into the season. So, you know, for all those reasons, I felt like that was a name that if he's on the market, maybe they should explore a little bit. 
Yeah, I really liked it. And I think we've seen that Sale, for whatever reason, has been uncomfortable over the last couple of years with Christian Vasquez. He's preferred Sandy Leon. Uh, Rick Porcello was the same way. They both, you know, rave about Sandy Leon. But um, if Sandy Leon's not here, maybe someone else needs to step up and, and take that uh, secondary catching role. I think, look, this is obviously um, going to be an extremely important offseason for the Red Sox. They're going to explore all sorts of options. I think they're being open minded. In almost every decision they're going to make, there's going to be really untraditional things. And, and I really, you know, for as crazy as the Devers trade sounds, I thought it was a really, really interesting and cool way to to break things down and do things in an interesting manner as they try to stay competitive and try to get under the 208 million. There are a couple moves the Red Sox have already made, and that, those came this week, uh, which is kind of the news of the week around here. The restructuring of the coaching staff, and and I think. And when I was looking at it, you know, we got the press release about uh, Tuesday morning. I thought, you know, this is huge news to us as those who are on the team every day. But do people, you know, does it really matter to people about the coaching staff? And I think there's kind of a broader theme to what they did. So to refresh everybody's memory, they made really, you know, three coaching moves. They reassigned pitching coach Daniel Evangie as a pro scout. They took assistant pitching coach Brian Bannister. He's going to leave his on-field coaching role. He's going to go to the front office and stay there as a vice president of pitcher development. He's been doing this weird hybrid role for the last few years and you know, kind of draw, drawn raves from a lot of people in the organization. And then assistant hitting coach Andy Barquette um, was let go. It seems like that was not necessarily a performance-based move, but something uh, based on the fact that he projects as a bench coach or a third base coach, and he's managed before, and the Red Sox obviously uh, don't have those types of jobs open. So uh, I would expect that he lands in his feet somewhere. I mean, we've we've both gotten to know Andy a little bit, and he is a really well liked around the clubhouse and a guy that uh, um, I think will will have have a long career in coaching. Obviously, the big move there is the the restructuring of the pitching infrastructure. I wrote yesterday after talking to some people that. This move was all about building cohesiveness throughout the organization. There is just this lack of cohesive game planning, whether that was on the major league side, whether it was on the minor league side. Uh, the Red Sox are looking for a more cohesive, unified manner in how their pitchers pitch, uh, how they attack hitters, what their first pitch looks like. And uh, I think that you know restructuring that with new people from the outside and, and doing it Alex Cora's way is going to be uh, really beneficial to, to Cora, who has admitted a billion times that he's not too familiar with the pitching side, being an infielder and then being a bench coach, but he's learned a lot in his first two years and now is going to bring in his own people to structure it the way he wants. You know, out of all the Reds of people on his coaching staff, you know, Bannister was with the organization before he was. Levangie was has been with the organization for 30 years and obviously was on the major league coaching staff before Cora. So now kind of his chance to bring in his own people. I reported a few names yesterday. Uh, the biggest one, Mickey Calloway, who was just fired as the Mets manager, who is obviously a great pitching coach with Cleveland. A guy in Doug White, who was just fired as the Angels pitching coach, but worked with Cora in Houston. Um, Matt Hurgis in, in San Francisco, the bullpen coach. A couple guys internally. Craig Bjornson, the bullpen coach. Dave Bush, who is a in the front office as a pitching development coordinator. And uh, Kevin Walker, who's a AAA pitching coach. All will get looks. Uh, the Red Sox are also going to consider some outside-the-box options. Uh, college coaches, some guys. We're seeing the guys from Driveline be hired by major league teams in the last couple of years. Uh, the Reds just hired uh, the head of Driveline a couple of weeks ago. So this is a wide open search. The Red Sox are looking to make this a cohesive infrastructure. And as a result, Bill, I know that this has been a storyline all year about how bad the pitchers were. Dana Levangie gets really, you know, effectively the axe, and, and the Red Sox are going to be looking in a different direction. 
Yeah, I think you you, know, you start with the performance on the field. Uh, you know, the 19th in the majors in earned run average, 4.70, which was, you know, up a full run from last season. Uh, you know, obviously the 28 blown saves out of the bullpen, you know, whether you attribute that to performance or, or role definition, the fact is that, you know, there were only three teams in the majors who blew more saves this year. Um, you know, the fact that their top three starters all got hurt and, and spent extended time on the injured list whether that was Chris Sale, David Price, or Nathan Avaldi. Um, you know, Levangi is, I don't want to say he's a convenient fall guy in a way, but, you know, I think it reflects the fact that the organization felt like they had to make some kind of change. And, and I think yep. that, you know, Levangi is the pitching coach with, with his job title and his job description. He's going to be the guy to go. Um, you know, I think it says a lot that, that they did want to retain him and put him back in pro scouting. He served in that role before. Um, you know, I, I was... I was also intrigued by, you know, the move of Brian Bannister. And I, I think, you know, I, I do have a thought on that in terms of, you know, Bannister's working with younger pitchers in the organization and, and maybe going in the minor leagues a little bit more. Uh, if you look at some of the guys who they have coming, who, who aren't necessarily close to the big leagues yet, but, you know, guys like Brian Matta and Noah Song and, you know, Tanner Houck, who, who's the closest out of those guys. And, you know, maybe Jay Groom, who was back on the mound after Tommy John surgery. Uh, Sale, you know, sorry, not Sale, Price and Evaldi, their contracts are up after 2022. Mm-hmm. So if you have Bannister in the minor leagues and he's working with these guys who are maybe two or three years away, what you really want is for them to be here to fill in for Price and Evaldi if they're still here and haven't been traded. Yeah. You know, those are sort of low cost options that you want to come into your rotation or come into your bullpen. And, and so I thought it was really interesting that the Red Sox reassigned him to the minors, considering the fact that they haven't really developed much young starting pitching in, in recent years. And I, I really yeah, feel like it's Buck Holtz and Lester and then nobody since then. Yeah. You know, the other guys have gone into the bullpen, whether it's Matt Barnes or, or now Darwin's and Hernandez, uh, you know, and both of those guys project Workman. as good re- workmen as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Workman obviously had a, a career year in the pen. Uh, Hernandez has taken relief pitching very well. And, you know, I think Barnes has been you know, more than a capable setup guy for them, uh, you know, over the last couple of years. Uh, but I think that, you know, one of the most expensive propositions in baseball is paying free agent starters or, or trading for them. And I think the Red Sox maybe look at that group that they have right now and see some talent there. And I think they feel like, you know, they maybe needed to reshuffle their resources on the coaching staff. So I feel like Bannister going to the minor leagues reflects that. Um, I also think that, you know, your point about Cora and maybe wanting to establish an organizational philosophy, I think that's pretty well taken too, because you're going to have guys, you're going to have movement. If you look at the number of pitchers that they used this year, whether they were guys who were in double A or triple A who ended up on the major league roster, uh, you know, you would like to be speaking the same language. Uh, you know, and I, I think that generally, you know, they had a lot of different pitchers who, who tried to do a lot of different things uh, and, and weren't necessarily on the same page. Uh, yep. I thought you made a really good point about first pitches and, and how they started opposing hitters. They threw more middle middle pitches than, than anyone else in the league. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, so I mean, I think that's behind too. Right. You know, so I think that's those are just things that they can address, uh, you know, pretty easily it would feel like and you know, you'd be interested to see who Cora hires I know he has a relationship with Mickey Callaway previously 
Um, you know, do they try to go into the Houston system, which obviously he knows well? Is you know, is there somebody there, or maybe somebody who's moved on from there, who he might know? Uh, could we have you know more firings? Uh, you know, as October uh, shakes out, or are we going to have you know maybe more managers go? Obviously, Gabe Kapler was let go this morning by the Phillies. Um, you know, are we going to have maybe Dave Roberts go in Los Angeles and and have his staff be fired and and on the loose? Uh, you know, is it going to there are going to be other changes elsewhere that are going to put some qualified candidates into the field. I, I think maybe the Red Sox are, are probably waiting on that end, whether it be as a general manager, president of baseball ops, or, you know, all the way down to the, the coaching staff on the field. Uh, you know, in terms of Barquette, uh, he was a guy who, before he was hired by the Red Sox, was a AAA manager with Indianapolis, who's the top affiliate of the Pirates. Uh, there were 16 games over 500 his last year, which suggests that, you know, he can run his own team. Uh, there's obviously a lot of talent there. If you look at what Pittsburgh has brought through, you know, a lot of those guys were there, whether it's Josh Bell or, you know, anybody else, uh, you know, but I, I think they didn't necessarily have a spot for him. Joe Oliver is pretty entrenched at, at AA Portland. Billy McMillan's going to go into his second year at AAA Pawtucket. They weren't going to make him a manager of one of their upper level affiliates. And so I think that was probably, uh, you know, maybe not a mutual parting of the ways, but it was probably something that needed to happen. Yeah. And uh, obviously, um, you know, the first coaching changes, the whole, the whole group came back last year. So now a word from our friends at Indochino. Indochino is founded on the belief that you don't need to spend a fortune on a custom wardrobe. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more, and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. I just went through the process of ordering and got a wrinkle-free shirt, which is important because ironing as a recent college graduate is not my forte or anybody at my age's forte. So it's been great to have that, put it in the wash and get and, and have it, you know, come out already wrinkle free. You get to personalize all the details, including your lapel lining and your own monogram. They have hundreds of suit options for all occasions, including work, formal events, and even your own wedding. Best part is that they are affordable. Almost every custom piece of clothing is under $400 process is very simple. You have to just go online or go to a showroom, but I went online, choose your fabric, your customizations, and submit your measurements, measure yourself at home, send them in. Your package will be delivered straight to your door within two weeks. You can get measured and design your suit at your nearest Indochino showroom. There's one on Boylston Street in Boston, or do it all yourself on Indochino.com. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. So you can start your style upgrade with 30% off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering the code SOX, that's S-O-X at checkout. Shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code SOX for 30% off your total purchase of $399 or more. It's an incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You really have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit because of Indochino, the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Getting back to the Red Sox talk, we just talked about changes in the coaching staff. Obviously, the big change that we're going to see this winter or this fall most likely is the head of baseball operations. David Dombrowski was fired a year, uh, a month ago yesterday. And as I wrote this morning uh, for MassLive.com, there are going to be, uh, I think things are going to start heating up in terms of the GM search right now. As of 10 days ago, we went to the year-end press conference president of the team sam kennedy said they had not reached out to anybody for permission to talk to candidates i think that that was more of a product after really three almost three weeks almost a month of of having uh nobody in place i think that's a product of two things one the confidence in the guys and girl raquel ferreira that they have running the team and also that they are aiming high and they are aiming for executives that are running teams currently 
in the postseason. So at this point, Andrew Friedman, things are a little bit up in the air in Los Angeles after that collapse last night, thanks to Joe Kelly, a former friend of the Red Sox. He's, he's, I saw someone tweet, Joe Kelly has now knocked the Dodgers out of the postseason in two straight years, which was, uh, was pretty funny to read. Um, uh, and Chris, I, Chris, don't yeah. allow Clayton Kershaw to escape blame there. Yes, I know. Clayton Kershaw, obviously, uh, a huge part of that as well. But you could see Dave Roberts. You could see um, Andrew Friedman, which is obviously a more impactful move in terms of what the Red Sox are looking for, uh, become available uh, if they decide that changes are needed in L.A. Tonight, uh, as, as we record this Thursday afternoon, tonight's result between the Rays and the Astros, the Red Sox are likely going to call both of those organizations, whether they're looking at Eric Neander and St. Pete or Kime Bloom, or in Houston, if they aim big for Jeff Lunau or look at one of his assistants, Brandon Taubman, or someone else in the organization with Alex Cora's familiarity there, uh, the Red Sox could be placing a call to Houston to ask for permission. So I think at this point, you're seeing a lot of the guys that they're interested in really starting to become available because their seasons are ending. And at this point, I think they're aiming high. I think they're aiming for other teams' number ones. They realize that's going to be hard to do. And if at a certain point they can get a number two, um, I think that'll be kind of the more likely thing is that they get an external candidate who's a number two in some other organization. But we're seeing these teams start to fall out and these calls are going to start to be made. Yeah, John Henry sort of uh, put it right out there on that Friday when he spoke to us when he said that we're looking for someone with previous general manager experience at minimum. Uh, You know, that disqualified a lot of the field. Uh, took the gang of four out of consideration in in my mind. Uh, You know, but you do make a good point. The Red Sox seem very comfortable with Eddie Romero, Brian O'Halloran, Zach Scott, and Raquel Ferreira running day-to-day operations right now. And, and quite frankly, they should be. Uh, you know, Eddie Romero was the most recent hire among that group, and that was in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they know the organization inside and out. Uh, they know the business side. They know the player personnel side. Uh, between the four of them, they are very capable of, of functioning you know, as a group and, and covering every aspect of the organization. Uh, you know, I have no problem with them waiting for the playoffs to shake out if, if they do have a candidate in mind. Uh, you mentioned Andrew Friedman. You know, obviously he came from Tampa, went to Los Angeles, um, has been able to produce young talent uh, just like he did in Tampa Bay. Um, I do look at, at his roster currently, and I have a couple questions that you know, maybe Red Sox fans would want to ask. Uh, two of his free agent signings, A.J. Pollock and Joe Kelly, were dreadful in the series against the Nationals. Um, you know, cost a combined $95 million. Uh, that's the sort of thing that the Red Sox will need to avoid over the next two or three years. Um, you know, Friedman also has been very reluctant to, to part with any prospect capital there. Um, you know, in terms of maybe getting another starting pitcher for a Los Angeles team that looked like it was ready to win now, uh, or maybe adding another bat, uh, you know, somewhere in his lineup. So you wonder if that's maybe more back to the Ben Charrington days where maybe the Red Sox were a little too reluctant to, to make a big move or, or some sort of move adding a veteran. There, there is a balance to strike there. Um, you know, in terms of bringing in someone from Tampa Bay like Kyan Bloom, the Rays obviously have the lowest payroll in the game and, and are one win away from the American League Championship Series. So, you know, much like Friedman, that that's also that sort of background, player development, doing more with less. Uh, you know, and the typical thinking is if, if you give Kyan Bloom the money that the Red Sox can spend, uh, you know, that's just a, another weapon in his arsenal. Um, yeah, I would say, Chris, that I, I am interested in whether or not they do make the dream phone call to Billy Bean and, and whether or not, 
you know, this might be the time that Billy Bean decides he's going to cash in on the A's, that he's done all he can, that he's tired of trying to do it the hard way, uh, and that he strikes out and comes to the Red Sox. Now, I understand that his contract in Oakland is a lot more complicated than anybody else's. I believe he has an ownership stake in the team, and you know, we need to divest that, and you know, there, there'd be a lot more rings to jump through. Uh, you know, but that's been the dream candidate for a lot of Red Sox fans. Uh, you know, I would at least make the phone call, even if it's not realistic. Uh, you know, but I, I'm curious what you might like to see in terms of the next executive who's running the team, whether it be someone with a player development background, someone with a, a rebuilding or reshaping background, uh, you know, or someone who could sort of extend what they've already done over the last two or three years, just maybe without the rashness in, in free agency that Dave Dombrowski showed at times. Yeah, I think it's going to be someone, you know, who, who can thread that needle perfectly, I believe. You know, player development is obviously going to be very important for this group as well as as getting the most out of the veterans you have. At the end of the day, you know, the next couple of years are, are probably going to be judged by the arms of David Price, Nathan Evaldi, and Chris Sale and, and the health of them. I think the team, as we saw, lives and dies over the last two years. We've seen that they really do live and die with those guys. If, you, if they're healthy and performing, then you're going to have a good team. If they're not, I think it really comes down to that. You know, It sounds like a very simplistic answer, but you can get out-of-this-world seasons from Bogarts and Devers and huge breakouts from Vasquez and Rodriguez and have a bunch of guys in the bullpen really start showing up. And I mean, they have a good bullpen core like we talked about now and have Workman have a great year and have Darwinson and Josh Taylor and Marcus Walden and all these guys step up, um, have Chavis come in and be for a few months a Rookie of the Year candidate, have um, you know Mookie and JD be at their same production levels. And all that goes right, and the season collapsed on the arms of Price Sale and Evaldi, and that basically, and, and I think no matter who the next GM is, I think things rely on them. So a big piece of this is starting pitching depth. A big piece of this is, is potential replacements, as you referenced earlier, guys in the minor leagues who can come up and help out, which they obviously didn't. I don't want to see Ryan Weber or Josh Smith as those replacements going forward. You need to have better options than that um, ready. You know, they, they've had some guys who came up, and basically anybody who filled in as a starter this year, either went to the bullpen. I mean, they tried Darwin's and Hernandez and figured he'd be more effective out of the bullpen. They were right about that, but not a lot of starting pitching depth. You need someone who really has, has a, a, a background of building arms. I think a few organizations that stand out. Houston has kind of bought their starters. I mean, that's clear. They didn't develop any of their three horses that are, that are veterans right now, but Tampa Bay has always developed those guys. I mean, from, Price to Shields to Snell to Archer to these guys that are all all over the league still. Uh, Cleveland has always done that. You look at the horses that they've had come up over the last X amount of years. So for one of those pitching factories, I think would really be uh, where you want to hire at least, you know, or look for your next general manager as you build up your pitching infrastructure too. I'm not as, as hard on, on Dave Dombrowski as a lot of people. My colleague at Mass Live, who we love to make fun of, Chris Smith, <laughs> loves to talk talk about you got to build the farm system got to start from the ground up and just have all these great prospects i'm more and, and drelic god bless him was the same way of oh my god if you trade away jalen beaks the future of your organization is ruined they ended up winning the world series uh with Avaldi. i think there's there's going to be that balance there where in boston it, this isn't tampa bay where you need to have the number one farm system all the time i think Going back and forth and building these contenders, it, it, the goal is to win the World Series. They're going to try to do that every year. I think that's the standard here. And um, But having that second layer, being able to say, all right, we have all this money, all this capital. we got to find a way where we can have 
you know, what the Dodgers have a great major league roster and a ton of, a ton of pieces coming, you know, very expensive major league roster, but this every year, three rookie of the year candidates in LA that is possible. And that's what the Red Sox need. I think. Chris, I, I think you make a really good point that, you know, fans might lose sight of every once in a while. And that's the Red Sox are, are playing for championships year in and year out. The, this is not, an organization that wants to have the rookie of the year every year. This is an organization that wants to play deep into October every year. You know, if that means trading Yohan Moncada to get Chris Sale, if that means trading Hanley Ramirez to get Josh Beckett, then so be it. Because those moves help you win a World Series. Uh, yep. and, and that's what you're doing here in Boston. That's not what they're really trying to do in Tampa. You, know, you could say that you're trying to win the World Series. That's fine. Uh, your payroll is only $60 million. You know, So realistically, are, are you going to win a championship with that payroll? No, probably not. You're, you're probably going to do what you're they doing. Might. This well, they might, but you know, the, the chances are the percentages are you're, you're probably not teams that spend are generally going to win. The Royals are really the lone recent exception. Um, you know, they developed a, a young core and brought them through and eventually had to break it up. Uh, you know, but you're looking at Boston with what they spend, with what they charge for tickets, with the TV package, with everything else. You're playing to try to win a championship every year. If you have the number one farm system in baseball, you've probably done something wrong, believe it or not. Um, you know, I look back at where they were in 2012 or 2013 when they did have a highly rated farm system, and then they ended up at the bottom. And why was that? Well, a lot of those guys graduated to the major leagues. If, if you look mm -hmm. at their position players you know, in the World Series last year, a lot of those guys were homegrown. Uh, you know, and I just finished Alex Spears' book uh, of the same title. It was outstanding. It you know, told the story of guys like Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts and, you know, Raphael Devers and, and how they made their way through the minors. Um, you know, so, of course, when you graduate a bunch of those guys, your farm system is going to be a little shallow. Uh, you know, I think that they started the year at 30, according to Baseball America, which is dead last. They were up to 22 by the end of the season, and that was with graduating Michael Chavis and Darwins and Hernandez to the Major League roster and Josh Taylor, for that matter. Um, you know, so I'm encouraged by what I see there, you know, particularly at the lower levels with guys like Jaron Duran, uh, guys like Thad Ward, who had a great year, uh, someone like Tristan Casas, who's not really close to the major league roster, but who shows great promise. Um, you know, those guys are maybe two or three years away, uh, but there is certainly talent there. there. There's not, you know, it's not completely barren like some other places. If, if you are a GM or a president of baseball ops who comes in from the outside, you are going to have something to work with there, and, and you're going to have something to build on uh, if you don't spend through that third threshold of the tax, which they're, they're clearly dead set against doing. Yeah, it's obviously you know, a better farm system than I think a lot of people think. A lot of people thought it was earlier in the year, and uh, it's something the Red Sox are going to have to keep building up no matter who is in charge. So that is, that is all for us today on the Red Sox Big Podcast. I want to thank Bill Koch for joining us. Really great insight. You can follow him at Bill Koch 25 on Twitter. He will be doing his transformation, which is unbelievable to the rest of us to cover the Red Sox all year and then enjoy our off seasons. He now in the off season becomes a full time uh, beat writer for URI basketball. But God bless him for it. Bill, thank you for uh, joining the show. Chris, my pleasure. Thank you.